revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm. Welcome to Medicine on Call, where it's all about living the solutions. Today, I have a really special friend on who I love having on my show because every time she comes on, I actually learn. I learn a lot, and I know that my listeners do as well. We're going to talk today with Dr. Marilyn Singleton. She's the president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, a board-certified anesthesiologist, and a lawyer. Um, She's graduated from Stanford. She earned her MD at UCSF Medical School, and she completed two years of surgery and residency at UCSF. Then she did her uh, anesthesia residency at Harvard's Beth Israel Hospital, and she's worked as in the hospital setting, in the medical student training um, uh, setting. She's someone who can speak to everything that's going on over the healthcare system from a position of authority because she's been there and seen the changes. And in honor of Black History Month, I wanted to have her on because I read an article that she wrote which really spoke to me entitled Free Black in 21. And, I, you know, we're, we're in a society now where everybody seems to be a victim of something. And it's not making us come together. It's pulling us apart. And one thing as a member of the African-American or black community, I want to see us, as with everybody, grow past our past. It's over, for goodness sake. If we were living in the same position we were when my mom, for example, was growing up, I wouldn't be on this talk show, I wouldn't be a physician, and I wouldn't be able to speak my truth with impunity, which I love. And Dr. Singleton just put everything into perspective where we need to start doing what we, what she did, does and what she does every day and in this article, which is to speak about the good of what's going out there, what's, what's changed, how we should grow from what the diff, you know, what our grandparents and our forefathers and mothers went through and stop living in the past and basically fighting and actually, I think, working against our own interests. Thanks, Dr. Singleton, again for coming on. It's always a pleasure to have you on my show. Oh, and Dr. George, it's just, it's always a delight. I, I just look so forward to always talking with you and your, your listeners. It's like uh, just like speaking with a friend, honestly. Just like we're just having a conversation. And just tell me what what stimulated you to write this article because I think it's very timely. I think part of it was having the television on too much. I think <laughs> and hearing all the political rhetoric. Uh, I told somebody this morning, they said, how can we change the situation? I said, turn off the radio, turn off the TV, <laughs> and don't listen to this nonsense that people are spewing out just to get a rise out of people, just to see if they can eke a vote out of somebody. Mm-hmm. They'll say whatever they think works and whatever is dramatic. And I, I contrasted that with looking out the window of our house and having people talk about, oh, how awful people were and how nobody gets along. And out piled six boys, maybe 18, 19, 20-year-old guys out of the car, and they were total mixed race, some black, some white, mm-hmm. some Mexican guy. And so we kind of waved. We were on the porch. and. And uh, said, what are you all up to? And they said, oh, we're going down to the beach and we're going to pick up girls. And I just thought, is this not too cute? Now, here's this whole group of guys just having a grand old time. And but my husband and I would have said, but wait, they were all supposed to be hating on each other. <laughs> it's, it's what they're saying out in this political world does not reflect how real people are. Real people are living their lives day to day. They're helping one another out. They really aren't wasting their time hating. Yes, there are some creeps. There's creeps of all races, all social strata, but that's not most people. I would actually have to agree with you. With what we do as physicians, 
We see this on the front line. You're seeing a patient, you could care less who they are, where they come from. You're there to take care of them. And when you start speaking with your patients, you realize how much you actually have in common with them as human beings. It doesn't matter the race. It doesn't matter anything. It's just if you're a decent person, you are. And if you're not, you know, I'm with this Black History Month, one thing that I'd love to get your take on is Martin Luther King's theory and what he stood for, which was content of character and not color of skin. We seem to have worked our way completely to the polar opposite end of that statement. Yes, we have. And for so many years, we were actually chipping away at that. And this is what amazes me. And, and you mentioned that in your intro when you said you felt it was to our detriment mm -hmm. to go down that road. That what good does it do to always try to paint people as a victim and paint somebody else as a villain? That doesn't do anything for social relations, and we've all learned through the years, and, and I really think that we've seen it with race relations, uh, uh, gender relations, and everything else. The more you interact with people, different kinds of people, the more you realize people are the same. And now... They're trying to do things to keep people from interacting with one another. These colleges wanting black dorms or Hispanic dorms and all this. Mm -hmm. Well, why bother? Just go stay wherever you were living and don't bother to go out in society and meet other people and learn about other people. And what's really so hypocritical to me is you see these politicians uh, of color who are stealing all this nonsense. Do you think they're living in some segregated <laughs> neighborhood? Oh, no. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Hardly. I mean, and I don't begrudge anybody living in a nice neighborhood in a nice house, but then shut your mouth. Don't make it look like you're the great black hope because you aren't, and we are as individuals. And we have to tell our kids and, and teachers that if the kids are too poor to have a parent for a mentor if they're in jail or a drug addict or whatever, then the teachers need to step up instead of worrying about, you know, what the union's telling them to do. Take some time and spend some time with these students and do what you're supposed to do. And I just look at it now because the government policies aren't working in the direction of self-reliance, is that we as individuals have to do this one step at a time. And my husband took a young man under his wing who was, uh, he fell on hard times, lost his job, so he and his two daughters were living in a motel and, uh, he was making enough money to pay for that, but imagine having to pick up and move every 30 days. And uh, Dan worked with him, helped him get his resume together, so he got a better job and actually has quite a good job now. And amazingly, just walking down the street, we found a wonderful apartment that wasn't uh, rented by one of these big companies. It was a personal rental. So even though he had an addiction on his record, she let him live there. And I thought we could feel very comfortable that we helped one family. Mm -hmm. And if everybody else helped one family, Imagine. you wouldn't need all this stuff like, oh, the government's going to do it for you. And it doesn't do it for you. That's the point. a Section 8 voucher. Mm -hmm. And so what? Well, you're exactly right. It. The, what you just did for no money, you know, it didn't cost the taxpayer anything, but you got somebody back on their feet, a part of the society, you know, stable, and it took just caring about your neighbor, technically, to do that. Now, I know in California they're talking about this, uh, what is it, universal income nonsense, and I think they tried in one of the cities, and they're going to give folks $500 a month, and nobody took advantage of the offer. Does that tell you something? 
Well, you know, the sad part about doing this, and I think anybody who thinks about it can figure this out, that if you give somebody some sort of housing subsidy, which is yet another thing that some of these candidates are proposing, and this seems to be over and beyond Section 8, this is for anybody to get an extra $500 a month, what do you think is going to happen? All the rents are going to go up. Just like all the prices went up in New York when they raised the minimum wage for waiters and waitresses. You know, it's get a clue. That doesn't do anything, and it also doesn't do anything for the person to think, oh, well, if I have an extra few hundred, maybe I can find a better place. Mm -hmm. Where does it end? Who do you stop giving that money to? Mm -hmm. And do you really think that that's going to improve anybody's life in the long term. No. They'll be in that same crummy apartment year after year after year. And then they'll think, well, if I want to get a better apartment, I'll just wait for the state to give me another $500 subsidy. I just, it's just, it, it makes no sense. And they know it makes no sense. And I think that's what bothers me the most. Mm-hmm. Because these people aren't stupid. They just know what sells. And frankly, they don't care. After they've they've sold it, who cares? They still have their life. They have their power. And that's all it is, is a power grab. I think you can even go further. I mean, it's an absolute transfer of wealth if you really want to think about it because those folks who take the $500, God forbid, they're trapped. They're not working. They're just getting a little bit more off the dole of the government. But the people who are on the other end living large, they're still doing that. But there's no way that you're able, if you don't have a job, if you don't have a means to advance yourself, you are stuck in this. It's like a modern slavery situation or indentured servitude where you're just waiting for the next check to come to basically eke out a living. How does $500 make a difference? It might buy you a couple of meals, maybe some groceries once one week. It certainly doesn't help you live. But this whole thing is designed, I think, to make people think that they should like to get the minimum. Doesn't that remind you of the healthcare system? You're going to get Medicare for all, but you're going to get basically no care, and you should like it. So the floor of everything seems to be dropping. You know, the... the that's right. Exactly. You know. And that's, that's how you get the power over people. Mm-hmm. And it's the lowest common denominator. Exactly. I mean, look at, look at what happens sometimes in some of these uh, union construction jobs where people take their time because you know you're going to get paid no matter if <laughs> the job is a good job or a bad job. And, and this attitude... We, that's not the attitude you want everybody to have. Could you imagine if that was the attitude you had with your patients and your patients knew it? Yeah. <laughs> they would go running out the door. Uh, there's a commercial <laughs> on TV of a guy going in to have surgery, and, and the guy asks him, are you good surgeon? And he says, oh, well, I'm adequate. <laughs> <laughs> and but that that is the that's a template, isn't it? You got nowhere else to go, like it or lump it, and what? And you're going to pay more for the privilege to top it all off. I mean, this is a sad situation where they try to tell you something's for free. First of all, nothing is for free. Someone's paying for it. But I think even if you get rid of the money for a second, you just described exactly what goes on. I believe in the healthcare setting when the doctors lose autonomy when they're they're employees of the hospital and they're they're led by the nose with fear of MOC, um, maintenance certification or peer review. They're being forced to actually work against the interests of their patients. That's not a doctor I ever want to see, is it? And But those are the doctors you will see. Exactly. It, it's really very much the whole concept, you must obey. And But the way you get people to obey is... You do control them. You control their food. You control their housing. You control their health. You control their livelihood. And then, of course, they have to obey. I mean, this is certainly one of the problems that 
nobody wants to address when you have people working illegally. Well, of course they're going to be exploited. Who are they going to tell? People should want these folks to be here legally and not illegally. And, you know, people tend not to think farther than their nose. And, and, and look at what Walter Williams, the economist, keeps on talking about the law of unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. That you have to look beyond whatever policy it is that you're throwing out there. And more and more, and the more I have, the more time I've spent on health policy and some other things, is the more you see it's really not a policy at all. It's just a vote-getting tool, but not anything really grounded in strong public policy. I think on that note, let's take our first break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. Are you having problems with persistent bad breath, constant throat clearing, hoarseness, a cough that won't go away, a sore throat, or a feeling that something's always stuck in your throat? Why not find out what the problem is so it can be fixed? At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking time to work with our patients as a team to get to the root of the problem. Make an appointment today to see why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com. From treatment of sinusitis with balloon dilation to minimally invasive office procedures to correct snoring, Peachtree ENT Center offers state-of-the-art care. We also specialize in price transparency. You'll know the cost of our ENT services before they're rendered, whether you have a high deductible plan or no insurance at all. Make an appointment today to find out why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Dr. Marilyn Singleton, the president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. She's also uh, has interned at the National Health Law Project and has practiced insurance and health law, and she's a policy expert. Now, before the break, we were talking about the floor of everything. Everything is just being centrally managed, and it's it's all driven by emotion, though. They want you to believe that they care. The state, statism, it cares about you. It knows what's best. It knows what you do, what you should do before you even should know what, what it is you should do. And you should like getting nothing. And you should like having these overlords. This is what, from a healthcare perspective, it drives me crazy to see these people come on, these Congress folks come on TV and try to talk healthcare policy. All these Democratic uh, runners, whatever you want to call them, all this Medicare for all, none of them can tell you how to pay for it. But that's what we should all do. And at least Kamala Harris was was truthful when she said, well, we're going to get rid of the private insurance industry. That's what the law says, isn't it? Isn't that the, the whole bill? That's exactly what the law says. And some of the things that are in it are really quite appalling and the A number one was literally no private insurance. And the only thing that you could get private insurance for would be something like plastic surgery. But why would you need insurance for that anyway? Mm-hmm. So the idea, it's in, in a sense, it's like, okay, she blurted it out. I mean, this has been in the standard still from the get-go. And I think once people heard that, that made people think, what on earth? So we don't even get a choice. And I think people have read America's wrong, that, yeah, we want things, and, yes, quote-unquote universal health care sounds good and all. But as soon as the stark reality hits, we say, number one, you mean we can't, as was so famously said, 
keep our doctor if we like our doctor. That was the first step, mm-hmm. that you couldn't have the doctor you wanted. And now the second step is there's absolutely no opportunity to have someone else other than who they tell you to go to. And it, it's almost like they've, they've tried to condition people to being tools of the government, condition the doctors through all the new bureaucratic regulations and whatnot. So the doctor starts to give up and not feel autonomous anymore. And then they push the patient into these networks with no choice. And now this is the ultimate lack of choice. No insurance. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable. When I read that in the law, I just said, okay, you've really carried it too far. Even England has private insurance. So they've taken it beyond what other countries have. And in fact, most other countries have private insurance. And the other thing that's in this law that sounds good, but doesn't comport with anything else in the rest of the world is no co-pays, no deductibles, (laughs) no nothing, that the patient pays absolutely nothing, and you don't even have to register. If you walk in a doctor's office, you're automatically registered. Mm. You don't even have to be a citizen. If you're on Mm. U.S. soil, you can do this. Now, other countries, you, you just can't do that. And other countries have copays. There's only a couple countries that don't have copays. But it's like, how can you have a program with no copays? And then they call it Medicare for All. Well, guess what? Medicare, as it stands now, not only is it going bankrupt, but it's not even free. It's $134 a month for Part B, the doctor part of medical care. And uh, if you take that out of people's social security check and there's a 20% copay. Mm-hmm. So to make it sound like suddenly you can insure everybody when most of the Medicare Part B trust fund is actually paid for by the premium. <laughs> Yet this new Medicare for all, no premiums, no deductibles, <laughs> no copay. So where does the money come from? Guess what? The famous rich. Well, <laughs> you tell me, I, there have been Plenty of studies done, and um, and they're easy enough to Google, where people have looked at the number of the quote-unquote rich, people who pay lots of taxes. And even if you raise their taxes to 100% over a certain level, it's still not enough money to pay for all this. There's not enough of them. So guess what would happen? Okay, they sell you the product by saying they're going to tax the rich. And and that's why all this social unrest has to occur, because you've got to foment jealousy and envy. So we'll learn to hate the rich, even though everybody wants to be rich. Otherwise, why would they even have the lottery if people didn't want to have money, you know, in It's like, of course you're not, you know, but they want the people to hate the rich. So we'll tax them. Guess what? It's not enough money. So now it's going to be one step down, then one step down, then mm-hmm. one step down. And suddenly, $75,000 a year is going to be the rich. Oh, I can imagine that. On, on that note, I want people to think about that. Let's take a tiny break. We're listening to Medicine on Call. health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. 
Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. Before the break, Dr. Singleton was breaking down exactly what we should expect. I mean, this is a, if you follow this logically to the logical extreme, if you don't have enough people to pay for this pie-in-the-sky plan, you're having not only American citizens, but anybody who rolls into the country getting these freebies, either you totally go bankrupt or nobody gets anything. You don't get a heart transplant. You don't get a hip replacement. You don't get your tonsils out. You probably just get stocked up full of drugs so they can manage you with a pill for or maybe 10 pills once a day for the rest of your life because you're not getting surgery and you're not getting a workup because we could afford that. Well, I'll tell you something, Dr. George. We actually see this happening in real life in Oregon where they're, they're in the state-sponsored everything. Look what they've done to Medicaid patients which would be what we would all be if there were Medicare for all. Mm -hmm. We'd all be Medicaid patients. Is they want to ration the opiates for Medicaid patients. Huh? I didn't know that. Wow. Yes. This is this was something new. Yes. This is this is their way to save and to watch the folks and and they have to come in with all this documentation. And if they've had opiates for longer than X number of months, then it, it's really quite draconian. Wow. So that's how they're saving money. And guess who they're doing it to? Medicaid patients. Private insurance, of course, is doing that. And the other thing, old people, since, since I'm going to be an old person pretty <laughs> soon, and I pay attention to stuff like this, this, when the Affordable Care Act, first passed, Obamacare, it had a long-term care program. Even before it started, they realized that long-term care would just cost too much and that, you know, there's far too many old people and they couldn't pay for it. So right away, even after the law was passed, they quickly passed another law that just settled that whole program. Long-term care is supposed to be paid for (laughs) in the Medicare for All. Long-term care costs $7,000 a month. Who do you think, just like how Oregon decided they could dump on their chronic pain patients, that who's going to get dumped on? The old people. They're not going to pay for long-term care. That long-term care money is going to get depleted. And then guess what? Hospice is going to be the treatment of choice. Well, we can see how the, we can see how that works. They're paying for hospice. They're they're paying for consults to talk about hospice, but they won't pay for the surgery if you need to get a hip replacement. I mean, that tells you what their mindset is to make you comfortable. What is it? The uh, complete lives mentality, where you yeah. you treat people from age what is it, fifteen to forty four or something, and everybody else just gets made comfortable. I mean, I can see this That's has become right. this is not healthcare, and now we're rolling out this infanticide or this post post birth abortion i don't know what you call that but i call that murder that I mean all these euphemisms to make it sound cool or make it sound not what it is let's call it what it is and i think people are actually waking up to the fact that this healthcare system that they're trying to roll out is not about healthcare you're right it, it always has been about control but now they're getting mercenary either you you do hospice or you do euthanasia which i don't know if it got passed in uh dc but I think, was it Oregon? They do have, you can uh, help end-of-life doctors can do that, can they not? I think that's... Well, that's it's now Washington, D.C., uh, California, mm-hmm. Oregon, and I believe Vermont, but I'm not 100% sure on Vermont. And, um, that this, and this is the other thing. It's, you know, the word euthanasia is a dirty word. So what do you call it? Medical aid in dying. What? Death with dignity. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so mm-hmm. again, words matter. Yeah. No, it's, is it more expedient to help the person kill themselves or to sit and have a discussion with this person? 
and I totally understand. One, the need for hospice. Mm-hmm. Hospice care absolutely has its place. I totally understand feeling like you're in so much pain or distress, whatever the distress might be, that you feel suicide is the only answer. But for the most part, and there's many articles written by people who have considered having assisted suicide and then they change their mind and obviously they're quite happy that they change their mm-hmm. mind and turn the situation around, told another story to themselves that for how and whatever story you tell yourself to make you value your own life, this is what these people have done. And now we have the government. It's one thing to devalue your own life, but you don't want the government to devalue your life. Where does it stop? You have no say in the matter. Oh, we've seen how this how this story plays out. I mean, we have the Tuskegee experiment. We have a lot of things going on out there. If you really look at it historically, where the government did step in and they decided that people weren't worthy or they weren't valuable, or the the people who were maybe not, you know emotionally retarded in some way or, you know, mm-hmm. and they were, That's right. you know, they were not allowed to have children. So, I mean, we have a lot of, a lot of situations where, you know, it may sound good on paper, which I don't think it does, but people use that and then it just segues into something completely different that nobody wants. Well, that's right. That's like the term comfort care. Mm. I mean, who, who could say comfort care doesn't sound good? Oh, my goodness. I want my family member to be comfortable. But when you discover what comfort care is, sometimes it involves starvation that's actually quite painful. And uh, it, people don't know. They just don't know. That's why I'm so glad you have your show, so people can be educated about this. Because the time to learn about these things is not when it's sitting right on your doorstep. And that's the problem. Most folks aren't in the healthcare system as such. They go to the doctor every now and then, but they don't have something terrible happen to them every day. And then when it does, they don't know mm-hmm. what's going on in the system, and they don't know what it means when the social worker wants them. Would you like your hospice consult? Here it is, when the person hasn't even gotten their antibiotics yet, that got to know what that next step is before you quickly say yes. Realize, are they trying to save money or are they trying to help you? And I'm not saying that most people in healthcare field don't have a sense of wanting to help people. But when it's controlled by a lot of government money and a lot of corporate money, it just rubs off on you mm-hmm. as the worker that it, it just starts to be what the culture of the hospital is. And I just don't want it to turn into a culture of death. You know, it, that's an excellent point. And I wonder if that's what we're seeing roll out, you know, right in front of our eyes it, with euphemisms and platitudes, but in actuality, we're talking about taking children. I knew that that was going to happen. And I actually have talked about this before. Once they corral the seniors and they put them in these hospices and they stop treating them, comfort care. They're coming for the kids. And I kind of said it it wasn't in jest, but I had no idea that this was going to be the the way that they could roll it out. You know how many children could potentially, I can't even imagine the number of children, living children now, who could be taken out of, out of, out of this earth because of it's legal to do so. I mean, before the, before we had our conversation, I was wondering what kind of doctor would actually do this. But, you know, if it's if it's out there, I'm sure there's somebody, as you said, who's more than willing to do it, and that's a problem. It, well, it is a problem, but that's how you know it, it's funny because again, it, they have very interesting words to describe things. Like they'll say, "Oh, our morality has evolved," and what is that? <laughs> I, don't, so, I don't know. Morality is morality. <laughs> it doesn't evolve. <laughs> What? Okay. They throw out these kinds of words, and it and it makes you the person who thinks killing a baby after it pops out of the womb is wrong. Well, you just haven't evolved in your thinking, (laughs) so suddenly I'm the Neanderthal. (laughs) But 
these people are very clever. Mm. And, and, and this is something that goes beyond, and I think they pushed it too far, because even people who are pro-choice, stomachs are turning. This is just plain wrong. And, and we used to criticize China. I know. China did that. And, oh, China was the devil incarnate because they had infanticide, and now we're doing it ourselves. We need to take a step back. We honestly do. And, and, and think about this, not in terms of what the, what's trendy and, and this uh, evolving ethics and morality system that we're in. It, either it's right or it's wrong, right? There's no other way to think about things. And an average person who I believe believes, I mean, the majority of the country doesn't subscribe to this. But I think there's been this bullying of the entire society that if you speak up and you, you know, you tell people what you actually think, that somebody's going to come for you. You know, at some point we have to stop being bullied by these people. Because one thing I did learn as a child, that if you're getting bullied and you stand up for yourself, they stop. They stop immediately. Why do we, why is that any different now? It's not. It's not, but this was, again, part of a tactic is you make people afraid to open their mouths because the, the terms that are used to describe people that disagree. And, you know, we kind of started off on this end and, and we'll come to the famous word racist. Mm -hmm. I just am second that people are called racist. For things that don't even have anything to do with race. <laughs> well, it's a way to shut you up, you know. But it shuts a person up. But it shouldn't. What can you say? Well, you say, I don't care what you think. This is what you say. I'm going to tell you what you say. I don't care what you think. You don't matter to me. Next. That's what you do. If you know that you're not a racist, how on earth is someone else going to define you? My parents instilled that in me. Nobody gets to define you. And my always my thought was if... My parents don't treat me or talk to me a certain way. Nobody does. Why can't people go there? I mean, they just it's kind of simple. Walk away. Stop in, engaging with these people. I think it's happening, but it's not being put out there and publicized. But I think there's a growing number of people who are just stopped playing this game. Blexit is an example. I think you're right. Walk away is an I example. Right. I mean, but they're not getting on TV now. Because I think when people realize there's life outside of this bubble, I can thrive and I can be myself and I can be happy and there's nothing wrong with being happy. They're not going to want to live in this space of hating everybody. All the, I mean, that is exhausting. How do you hate people 24-7? Well, it is. And do you really think, well, somebody once told me that do you really think white people are sitting around thinking about <laughs> how much they hate black people? vice versa. I don't think black people sit around hating white exactly. people. It's just these people on TV. I mean, really. Come on. Well, there's a book that, it's an old book, but if you ever see it, it is such a good read. It's called True Believer, The Making of the Mass Movement, and it's by a fellow named Eric Hoffer, who in San Francisco was called the Longshoreman Philosopher. Uh, he had a column in the paper for years, and this book was written in the 50s. And one of the principles he said for getting kind of these messianic leaders was that first they have to convince you that you are unhappy. <laughs> and that really stuck with me because you realize that that's what these folks are doing now. People have perfectly good lives. Obviously not everybody. And there are some people who were in dire straits, etc. I'm not denying that. But people have good lives. And even Poor people have good lives that, like, my husband was very poor, and he said his mother always said, gee, I didn't know we were poor, and I didn't know we were supposed to be unhappy. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's this sort of thing, but you can't, how can you come and, and, and drop down and be the Messiah if people are happy? Exactly. Like telling people their tax cuts were crumbs. Well, thousands of dollars is a crumbs to a lot of people. Nope. And, you know, buys a lot of things. And, um, but you have to denigrate it. 
in order to make them unhappy. So then you can lead them down some other path. Well, I think and, I, and, I, and I would just say the biggest thing that, that I could ever tell somebody, just as you said, don't let somebody else define you or how you feel. Exactly. And stop thinking as part of a tribe. I'm an individual. You know, it's not how I look. It's not where I was born. It's my heart. You know, it's my belief in something and my willingness to to sacrifice to be the right, you know, to do the right thing for my patients, to do the right thing as a human being. No one else should be able to actually encroach on that. There's something inherently wrong with somebody making someone con- con- contract themselves into this 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 place that makes them feel comfortable. I mean, let's let's take a break. I want people to think about that because we're living in a society right now where. People are literally working against their own interests because of what they're supposed to be because of what they look like or what sexual organs they have or what their sexual preference is. Please stop. On that note, let's take a break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. You're listening to Medicine on Call. The place where healthcare, business, and current events connect. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. This is my favorite show because I love talking with you, Dr. Singleton. I just love talking to you. You're awesome. Just want you to know that. <laughs> The feeling is mutual. I feel like today's today's title should be instead of medicine on call, medicine for the soul. Exactly. Well, you know, we we just need to get into a different space. You know, what we're talking about is not a black or white or green issue. It's a human issue. Everybody deserves to be to be happy to be able to pursue what they're put on this earth to pursue. And people who want to take that away from you. I don't care what party, what color they are. We need to stay away from those people and stop giving them power. They love it when we hate each other, when we're fighting and we're calling each other names. It's just stupid, really. We need to just to be, we need to be smarter about this. And one way to be smarter, I think, I hope, I think you might agree, is to start thinking with your intellect and stop living through emotions. I mean, that is exhausting. It's one roller coaster ride to the next, but you don't get anywhere, do you? Not at all. And it's very interesting because uh, they've actually done studies on how much people react just with emotion, even to things that you should be looking at rationally. And politicians know this, advertisers, people who are trying to sell you something know this, and they try to pull in some emotional strength. That's all well and good if it's trying to get you to buy a Sony versus a Samsung TV or Ford versus a Chevy or whatever, but when it comes to your global way you live your life and how you want to see the country, if you want the country to continue to be free and for us to continue to be able to think what we want to think. I mean, now people are being criticized for their thoughts (laughs) and, and people, like you said, people afraid to open their mouth. We have to fight back against that. And I love what you said. It just where you just have to say, that's not me. Walk away. And you can't define me. And that has to become our new mantra. You cannot define me. That's great. Exactly. And we're all different. We're not, no one's better than anybody. We're all different, and that's what makes it awesome. You're good at something that I'm not. I can learn something from you. I can teach you something. But because we all look alike, we're supposed to think alike and do the same thing. How boring is that? A collectivist mindset is absolutely, well, it's boring and toxic. <laughs> you know, both. And they're, and they're trying to inflict that on the rest of us. We need to just take our power back. There is some uh, playwright who had a line in a play who said, uh, you don't get harmony if everybody sings the same note. And that's exactly how I feel with what they're trying to do, thinking that, well, if they get us all to think alike, then 
we'll all be in lockstep, but it doesn't work that way. People will get dissatisfied, become resentful of somebody telling them what to do. I think humans have that little bit of rebel in us by nature, and we want to be ourselves. We want to be individual. Yeah, yeah. You know, we aren't rats. We're human beings. Even our dogs are more individual than what the government wants to be. And, you know, come on, that people want to use their head. And like you said, everybody has different skills, different talents, but we all have a talent for something. Mm -hmm. Everyone can't be brilliant. Everyone can't be a singer. Everyone can't be an athlete. But it's amazing all the things that are out there for people to do and to be good at what they do. I remember we had a lady who helped us clean house, and Mildred was 14 when my mother basically found her, and she already had two kids, and uh, mother had her friends and stuff. They all have Mildred help clean the house. Well, Mildred was so good at her job, and one of the ladies knew somebody down at the Naval Center. And Mildred got a real job, not just helping people clean their house, as the maid. And guess what? By the time Mildred was almost 40, she was the head maid down at the office we club. So, and she was proud of it. And she used to laugh because she would clean the house in the room where the television was when her story was on. And she'd always work out. In somebody's house, <laughs> the television was. And, but, so Mildred was some poor, uneducated girl, but she was good at what she did. And she was good with people and couldn't have been more sweet. And she made it, and she made it to the top. And somebody might say, oh, well, she's a maid. Well, guess what? She loved it. And she made a good living and had a pension working for the Navy. So... You can't tell people what to do or what's going to make them happy. No, and you can't plan society. That's really what's going on. There's an article I just read. It really shocked me, actually, that a lot of the new housing startups, especially in cities, don't have more than two bedrooms because they want to you know, not encourage young couples to have children. They want them not to. So it's like you're affecting people's ability to have children. It's like central planning. And they're doing it in very insidious ways. And it's amazing that you don't know you're being manipulated. How do you come out of that system? How do you, you know, take a step back and get a, uh, you know, a 30,000 foot view? Because everybody's so busy, stressed and anxious and angry. They can't, it just makes you fodder, essentially. You can't extract that's yourself. That's one of the reasons for keeping people stressed and angry. <laughs> Good point. They don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. Answer my question. Yeah. But what? I mean, you have a choice. Stop being stressed and angry and stop, you know, getting sick. Do things, actually start making a change that you start taking care of yourself. I can't emphasize that enough. In in the system of our healthcare system, the best the best antidote or the best treatment is not to get sick. And I think that can be extrapolated across the board at this point. That's right. That's right. And and that's that's the other thing that I just find um, so disingenuous. Where um, even the AMA came out and said, "Oh well, they wanted to change what obese weights were and all this sort of thing to accommodate society." It's like, no, either you're overweight or you're not, <laughs> and and you need to get more exercise. Or it, don't don't try to soften it up. What are you trying to do? make people sick, uh, that's something else that we have to do. We have to try to take care of ourselves. It's hard work. It's hard work to take care of yourself, but it's, it's within your power. I read a very cute article about an old lady who had lost weight. She lives in a bad neighborhood, so she couldn't go out and walk and forgive her, so she couldn't walk really far. But she ended up losing, it was like 20 or 30 pounds just from walking around her living room. That's pretty good. She made laughs. So, I mean, <laughs> you can do it no matter what your situation is. And I have told that to patients who live in bad neighborhoods because it's always been one of the bugaboos of the sad part about being in a 
giving them things that they can do in their own home where they can still be safe and get their equivalent of the after-dinner walk. And so we need to use our heads. We need to be creative. And uh, we can do it. And we can make ourselves healthy. And we can all find the best doctors and keep our fingers crossed and our nose to the rhinestone and be vocal to keep this whole stupid Medicare for all idea at bay. Just remember, any any policy that wants to cancel all private insurance has another agenda in mind. What is going to be canceled then? I think on that note, I, there's nothing else to add, except I need to have you come back so we can actually delve into that side of, of your question, because it's a really important one. And in the last few seconds that we have, how can people read your blogs or connect with you? Okay, at aapsonline.org. Lots of great articles. You can type in anybody's name, see an article. My last one um, is right there, right on the main homepage. And lots of stuff to learn about healthcare and keeping yourself healthy as well as trying to keep America healthy oh, and soul. I couldn't have said it better. Thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait to have you on again. I hope everything, you know, continue to do what you do because we need you. There's no question about that. Oh, thank you so much. So good to talk with you. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Medicine on Call. You can catch me on Twitter, Facebook, and on iTunes, Spotify, everything else. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Revolutionary talk for revolutionary times. Promoting peace, liberty, and prosperity around the clock. LibertyTalk.fm.